0: Oh, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana here with my friend Chabruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Kedubot, daf Mem page forty-nine. Well, we have a new Mishnah here. As we discussed yesterday, there was a very long discussion after our last Mishnah about when exactly does a woman enter from the reshut of her father to the reshut of her husband, um, and now the Mishnah is going to get into more discussion about the issue of mizunot or mizunot or sustenance as we'll translate it into English. So a father is actually not obligated to provide his daughter's uh, sustenance. So this is one of those beautiful little details that we sometimes see in the Mishnah. This was uh, sort of the drasha, uh, the, you know, that, that Rabbi Elazar ben Azari, remember our friends who replaced Revan Gamliel in uh, one of my favorite Passages in the Gemara Brachot, Dav Chav Zion uh, through Chavchet, 27 to 28, in Yavna, right? And remember, Yavna is what became the center of Torah learning uh, after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and the Sanhedrin was taken out of Yerushalayim. Um, and he said the following, habanim habanot Yizunu, right? Sons, okay, this is, we're talking about what happens after a father dies. Sons inherent, okay, inherit, Basically, the money that's specified in their mother's ketubah, right? And the daughters are sustained, right, uh, from the father's estate, okay? Mahabanim enan yorshin elala acharmitata just as the sons do not inherit until after the father dies. Afabanot en nizonot avihan, right? The daughters are sustained from his property. Only after the father's death. Okay. And so the Gemara basically here, right? This idea that the father's not obligated to give mizonot says the following. Right? So it says, okay, so it's what the Mishnah is saying that the daughter he doesn't have to provide sustenance to, but he does to the son. Bito nami, right? So it says. Doesn't he, but isn't there, isn't there an obligation to do that for the daughter? Where does this Mishnah come from to say that there isn't one? There's no obligation, eka, but there is a mitzvah too. In other words, now this is a very interesting language here, because it's saying there isn't a choba, but there is a mitzvah. So what they're trying to say, at the Gemara is, yeah, he, it's not an obligation, but it's like the right thing for him to do right? And knowing this, whose opinion is this in the Mishnah itself? La Rabbi Meir, right? It's not Rabbi Meir. La Rabbi Yehuda, nor is it Rabbi Yehuda. La Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruka. And it's not Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruka. And how do they know this? Tanya, okay? Because they learned it of brisa, Mitzvah lazun at Tabanot, right? It's a mitzvah. Again, this language of a mitzvah to sustain the daughters, okay? Kavacham or labanim, so if it's a mitzvah to sustain the daughters, then kavachomer even more so for the sons. To oskei Torah, because they're engaged in Torah study. Dibri Rabbi Meir. This is what Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Yudah says it's a mitzvah to provide sustenance for the sons, and the is for the banot. Mishum Luta, right? Because it would be dishonor. It wouldn't look good if your daughters had to go to beg for food. Rabbi Yochanan and Omer. Rabbi Yohan says it's only a chova if after the father dies. But during their lifetime, they do not have to be sustained. So then the Gemara is going to try to continue to go on to try to figure out who actually says uh, who actually says uh, this Mishnah, and they entertain maybe it could actually be Rabbi Meir, maybe it could be Rabbi Luda. Maybe it could be Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. Um, But what I really wanted to, and I'm not going to read the whole rest of that passage there, um, but, you know, just pay attention to this formulation of a chalva versus a mitzvah. That's not a formulation uh, that we have seen before. I, I don't know that I completely understand what the nuance of it is. I, again, I think some of what it's trying to say is, is that, like, the chovah is in a negative, right? Like it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's. This is something that you have to do, whereas the mitzvah is saying like it's something nice if you do it. Uh, does that make sense, Anne? might would you, is that how you would articulate it? Also, like what that nuance is between the difference of I'm a chovah and a mitzvah?
1: Um, I think of it a little bit differently. Maybe I feel like a chovah. Let me understand this. Let me Maybe what I think in my words is what you mean in your words, right? Yes, yeah, I, I don't think know of,
0: that I said it well, and I'm hoping you're going to say it better than me.
1: I think of a chovah as something that's obligatory. And I think of a mitzvah as something that um, we are commanded to do, but that doesn't mean that it's obligatory unless you then undertake it. Meaning a mitzvah to say, for, for example, right, I'm not talking about a lot to say. it doesn't make sense for a lottase, but um, where you have an obligation, let's say, let's say that it's a mitzvah to, to, um I don't know, to be masamecha tanvkala, right? You're gonna go and rejoice with a at a at a wedding. But if there's no wedding, then you don't like the a. If if there's no wedding, there's no and b. You don't have an obligation to be at the wedding, right? right? It's just that if you are at the wedding, then, then the mitzvah t- kicks in to go do that, right? As compared to an obligation, like there's an obligation to eat from the Korban Pesach on lela Pesach. I mean, you are all the right terms, you know, Tara and so on, right? So that's, like, the the obligation happens. Um, you don't have the option of not doing it because some because it's, uh, I guess I'm not saying it well either. I think there's a difference between an obligation to do something where you have to go do it and a mitzvah where if you um or If you are under the right circumstances, then you have the opportunity to do it.
0: I think that's a great way of saying it. You said it much better than me. All right, now I'm going to hand it off to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm kind of going in a different direction, meaning not exactly, but the Gemara here, um, well, here yeah, I'm going to read and we're going to have a story and let's see where we go from here. <laughs> So Rabbi Lai said, Rabbi, which like he said, in the name of Rabbi Yehuda Khanina, fine. In Usha, Bo Usha hitkinu sheyei adam zan at banav ve'et banotav. So I find this to be a strange decree. Bo Usha hitkinu sheyei adam zan at banav ve'et banotav, he'shehin k'tanim, Namely, that the sages made a decree that a person, a man, should provide for his sons and his daughters when they are minors. I find this to be a strange decree because I feel like, isn't this the way of the world, meaning they had to decree that this should happen? So it certainly has, you know, there's scope for discussion here. We're going to read on. So the Gemara then says, well, is that the halacha? Is the halacha in accord with the fact that there is this decree? Or is that not the halacha? Meaning, must a man feed his children? Must he, you know, is it an obligation upon him? Is he required to do so because of this decree? Tashma, so the government says, come and learn. Ki hava atilu kamei amar lehu yalda va'abnei So they brought, the, they brought it to Rav Yehuda. Who's they? I don't know who they is. Somebody came and complained about a particular father who refused to feed his children, to provide for them. And he would say to them, Rebbe Huda would say to them, "Yaro, the jackal bears offspring, and cast the obligation to feed them on the people of the town." Meaning, even the jackal is feeding his children. Certainly, the father is going to be providing the support that his kids need to grow, to eat, to you know, to be civilized, right? So, again, I feel like Rebbe Huda. I feel, you know, uh, um sympathy or or empathy whichever right i i'm in sync here with Rabbi who who also is like this decree is i don't know that he would say it's unnecessary except for that it's kind of unnecessary if you can look to nature and say that even the jackal the jackal who's not known to be the most you know responsible of animals so to speak right and and even the jackal is feeding his young so too won't people so then they would come to Rav Chista and they would have a similar complaint. You know, like, oh, we have that guy over there is not providing for his children. So he would say, Rav Chista would say, turn over a mortar for him, meaning make a raised platform, let that father stand there in public, and he should say as follows, Orva bai bane, vahu gavra lo He should say about himself the raven, orva, the raven or a crow, will care for its sons. And this man, meaning this man, meaning himself, the guy who's talking, does not support, does not want to provide for his sons. So the commander says, um, orva bai bane, does a raven, does a crow really want to feed its sons? And then the, the, we've got a verse that, su- that suggests otherwise, specifically from Tehillim, Tehillim um, 147, V'aktiv, o rev asher kra'u. meaning the verse says that the young ravens come and they cry. What do they cry? Because they weren't being fed. Lo the Gemara says, no, this is not a problem. Ha-b'chivarei b'chiv, ha-b'u-chamei. B'uch, meaning the difference is between white ravens and black ravens, and there's different types of ravens, and some of them feed their young and some of them do not. And so he's going to stand on the podium in the middle of the town, and he says, um, Um, those are the ravens that that do feed their young, and the verse in Tehillim is about those who do not. When they came before Reva, again, the same kind of incident where people are complaining that the father is not providing for his kids. And again, I got to, I mean, I guess this happens all the time, right? In terms of at the outskirts of society, you know, this is what happens that people do not necessarily do right by their families. Again, I still have this question of why they needed to make it a decree, but I kind of understand why everybody's coming forward to complain about this, right? Like, it's being as neighborly as one can to look out for the children. They come before Rava. what does he say? So Rava would say to the father, are, are you so happy to, to let your kids be supported by tzedakah? You want them to live on charity? Meaning, where's your pride, man? Right. That's Is that kind of, he's trying to snap him awake or guilt him into saying, oh, right, right, I'm supposed to be the one doing this. Meaning, all of these stories, meaning Rav Chista, I'm sorry, uh, who's first? Rav Yehuda, Rav Chista, Rava, all of them, right, are coming to say that, of course, the father is supposed to be providing for the kids. But also what they say is that no each of this is like an argument or, or, or an awful situation to get the father to rise to the occasion and do the right thing but none of them are actually taking him to court and saying okay now you have to go provide and i don't know if they didn't bother to take him for court because to court because if he's already not providing for the kids then why would it be that they that he would listen to a court injunction but um but it's kind of interesting and maybe a little disturbing that once they've got this decree on the books like why aren't they implementing it to make sure that the father will provide for the kids? And in any case, the Gemara goes on, Amid. The Gemara says, this halacha is only relevant, The meaning the halacha altogether is only relevant if he's not wealthy. So what's happening? He's working hard. You know, he's working hard to provide for the kids. Aval, amid. But if he is wealthy, Al Karche, then they would force him to pay. Meaning, if he clearly has the money and he's not paying for his kids whether that means he's got he's not well or he's awful uh, awful human being right meaning what are the options right so in that case then the court would indeed force him to pay <laughs> for example there's this case where Rava forced Ravnatan Bar ami who was wealthy to donate to to tzedakah, and he got him to pay, or he forced him to pay, uh, 400 dinar, which is a good amount of money back in the day, right? Meaning there are times, that's about getting the wealthy man to contribute to tzedakah, that's not an obligation. Dana, going back to your your question about chovah versus mitzvah, right? Meaning he's not obligated to give tzedakah in, the way. The court, in this way. court in this particular case is going to force him to give charity because you know, because he could afford it. Well, if if you're going to force a guy to, if you're going to force somebody who's wealthy to contribute to the communal pot for the sake of tzedakah, for the sake of charity to others, then all the more so at certain. you know, if the person in question has the funds, then of course the court is going to force him to pay for his own children. So I think maybe that's the answer to my question. The decree is specifically there to enable them to force somebody who has the money to begin with to pay, it still raises the question why the guy is not sustaining his children um, and somebody quite poor and simply doesn't have the funds, which is not a good reason to not, it's not, a, it's not an excuse to not provide for your children, but it is an explanation for why the court is not going to force you to go ahead with it.
0: Look, I think two things on this staff. One is I like the idea of like how they sort of, you know, uh, bring an example from nature. Like they understand it's human nature to want to provide for your children. This doesn't. So the the idea of like compelling or the Besden in getting involved, these are the exceptions. Like that's not how humans generally behave towards their children. And I think they understand that. Um, but I think the stuff also shows us sort of the control that the Besden really had. Like it could compel you to have to provide. One was not allowed to just be like, nah. I had children, I don't feel like providing for them. So it shows us a type of like communal halachic power that really we know does not exist today anymore.
1: Um, Certainly that's true. It doesn't exist nowadays. I think also note that in each of these cases, somebody came to the court or to the Rav in this, right, to complain about somebody who's not providing for the kids. Meaning there is like a, like, you know, the neighborhood watch group, so to speak, keeping an eye out, making sure that you know these kids seem to be in need so then they what do you do so you go to the your local orthodox rabbi because that's going to be the person who's going to be able to step in and help out also not always the case nowadays right
0: right and that's also not the case exactly well that's our top discussion for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to revenue michelle farber for hosting us on the Hadron website let us know what you thought about the staff in our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.